Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is Let's Sleep On It, Reclaiming Parenthood, the podcast. And I'm your host, Taylor Kulik, a sleep and well-being specialist and occupational therapist. My mission with this podcast is to examine the parenting narratives that dominate our culture and grow together as parents. Here, we will talk about biological infant sleep, as well as many other parenting-related topics. And you'll also hear real empowering journeys from parents who are parenting against the grain. I hope that you walk away from each episode feeling inspired, empowered, and supported. Please remember that none of the information shared in this podcast is medical advice, and you should always speak with a trusted healthcare provider if you have any concerns. Let's dive into today's episode. Welcome to episode three of Let's Sleep On It, Reclaiming Parenthood with Taylor Kulik. We will be talking today about why vilifying bed sharing and withholding safe bed sharing information from parents is actually dangerous. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Before I get started, I want to jump right in and share a few safe bed sharing resources with you because it's really so important to have access to this information. If you would like to learn more about safely bed sharing, you can visit www.cosleeping.nd.edu or look into La Leche League's Safe Sleep 7. I also have a bed sharing highlight on my Instagram page. My handle is at Taylor Kulik, where I summarize the safe bed sharing guidelines. So bed sharing is one of my absolute favorite topics to talk about, and I'm also really passionate about it, and I get really fired up when I do talk about it, so that might come across here in this episode. As I mentioned in the first episode, I have bed shared with both of my babies, and for both of them, it wasn't totally a choice. For my first, it wasn't a choice at all. Um, for my second, it was kind of a choice, but it also became a necessity a necessity when I realized that he would not sleep alone. Um but it was a necessity and a way to survive. I'm sure that I'll eventually do more podcasts about all of the benefits of bed sharing because there are a ton. There are a ton of benefits and good things that come from bed sharing. But for today, I really just want to focus on why I believe that it's irresponsible and even dangerous for healthcare providers to be demonizing bed sharing and fear-mongering parents rather than providing them with the information about it. This is something that I think is so is so prevalent. I get contacted by by parents every day telling me that their their doctor did didn't provide them with safe bed sharing and not only information and not only that, but they said things like you're going to kill your baby if you bed share or don't ever ever do that. Um, and it's just there's so many problems with that way of that just that way. I, I was going to say supporting parents, but it's not supporting parents, and that's really the problem. So the first piece of this that I want to address is that it is not the role of healthcare providers to shame or to intimidate or to bully parents. I know that not all doctors or nurses or healthcare, I'm I'm talking about healthcare providers in general here. I know that not all of them do this, but unfortunately it's incredibly common and it's really just unacceptable and it's unethical. Telling parents that they're going to kill their baby if they bed share or that they'll never get their child out of their bed or that it's irresponsible or neglectful to bed share etc etc the list goes on and on of the things that healthcare providers say to parents about bed sharing this fear-mongering narrative is not helpful or productive 
It is a healthcare professional's job to provide parents with judgment-free information. That's the key word here, judgment-free, and allow parents to make an informed decision that works best for their family. The other problem, though, with the information that healthcare providers are providing is that it's also inaccurate and biased. Which leads me to my next point, that bed sharing when done in the absence of risk factors is actually not significantly more risky than crib sleeping. Many healthcare professionals really haven't dug into that research to explore bed sharing statistics and really understand deaths that occur during sleep. Most of the research used to support the narrative that parents should never ever bed share and that it's dangerous is based off of biased research that actually, surprisingly, doesn't separate out unsafe co-sleeping or bed sharing situations from safe bed sharing situations. Any form of same surface co-sleeping or bed sharing is lumped together in one category in this research. And this includes sleeping with your baby on the couch or in a chair or sleeping in an otherwise unsafe environment with pillows or blankets um, and, and sleeping while intoxicated or under the influence, etc. So of course, this research will conclude and demonstrate that bed sharing is dangerous and contributes to infant deaths. But when you view research that does separate out hazardous co-sleeping situations from safe co-sleeping situations, you will find that bed sharing in the absence of known risk factors does not increase risk of death, especially after four months of age. There are also so many unspoken benefits of bed sharing that help keep baby safe. And this isn't considered at all by the people that are adamantly against bed sharing. I'm not going to talk about the research too much here, but I do also want to point out, and maybe this needs to be an episode in the future, um, that there are problems with the research that is conducted um, to make these rules. There is a problem with, you know, research is so limited. We're so limited by, by this type of research. And Um, It doesn't take into account the mother-baby relationship and the benefits that occur and culturally that this is the way that that we've always slept as humans. We've always slept like this. So it doesn't take these things into account. And it also doesn't, um, a lot of this research doesn't use breastfed babies as kind of the baseline. They often use formula-fed babies as the baseline. And so there is a difference there. And there are these nuances with this literature. And I would just say that, you know, evidence is great. Evidence is important. But research, empirical research, is not the end-all be-all of wisdom and knowledge. Not everything can fit into that box that gives us all the answers with research. And so it provides a lot of really rich and valuable information, but there's a lot of other other things, other pieces that also provide us with really rich and valuable information, including the lived experience and anthropological studies um, 
And I think it's really interesting because I've had conversations with people who are adamantly against bed sharing and not even against bed sharing because, right, that's fine if you've made the decision for yourself, for your family, for your child not to bed share. But I think it's a totally different thing to make the decision for everybody else in the world, every other parent or caregiver in the world, that they should not bed share. And not only that, but that they should not be given access to safe bed sharing information. And I think that is what is dangerous. Um, But I digress. Anyways, I've had conversations with people that I will bring up the work of Professor James McKenna to them, who I referenced his site at the beginning of the podcast, but he is one of the, he's an anthropologist and he's one of the only people in the world who have ex- who has exclusively studied the mother baby dyad and breast sleeping and bed sharing so he's actually studying this he's actually conducting the literature and when i talk to these people that are adamantly against bed sharing some and i reference his work they are quick to dismiss his work because he is not a medical doctor and i find that fascinating because medical doctors have not studied bed sharing Medical doctors have not studied sleep. Medical doctors, for the most part, know very little about sleep, infant development, breastfeeding, the mother-baby dyad. They know very little about that information. Yet, we are supposed to listen to them as the end-all be-all. And I'm not saying don't listen to them. I'm just saying other people, other professionals, other researchers also have very valuable knowledge to give us, but they're dismissed because they're not medical doctors. So if that's something that you do, I would just encourage you to maybe reflect on that and ask why, because medical doctors are wonderful and medicine is has, has done wonderful things. And it's great that we have medical doctors, but medical doctors and, and um, evidence-based practice, I qu- should put that in quotes, quote unquote, evidence-based practice is not the end-all be-all of knowledge. They are not the ultimate authority on on child development and lifestyle choices and sleep and um, attachment and bonding. They're not. And so we, I think it would be a disservice to not reflect on all of those other pieces besides just the research. And we've already talked about how the research is problematic and is biased. So that's all I'm going to say about the research for now. I might have more episodes in the future where I dive into this a little bit more. So let me know if you'd like um, an episode about that kind of thing and the problems with with empirical evidence. Not that that we shouldn't value it, but it's not the only source of knowledge. So bed sharing also allows baby and mother to stay close and allows baby to feed frequently which facilitates milk production and the breastfeeding relationship and we know that breastfeeding is actually protective against SIDS so having a baby in sensory proximity to a mother which means very close allows mom to help regulate um, baby's breathing patterns as well and their body temperature the argument against bed sharing really simplifies an incredibly complex and intricate issue or rather a a complex and intricate relationship. So again, why the research does not give us all of the answers because it's not taking into account all of these benefits. And I would be interested in a study that um, explores 
the risks of solitary sleeping for infants, especially especially very young infants, sleeping away from from a mother, sleeping not in sensory proximity. What are the the potential? I'm not saying that you can't do that. I'm just saying I'm asking what are the potential repercussions of that. So, and I already said this, but again, I just want to emphasize that there's a huge difference between choosing not to bed share versus advocating for the withholding of bed sharing information. I don't think bed sharing is right for every family and every circumstance. And I think that families should have the right to choose the sleep situation, environment, circumstances that works best for their family. What I have a real problem with is people that believe that nobody should get access to this safe bed sharing information. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll continue this conversation and stay tuned because I took some really super interesting but informal polls on my Instagram account about um, bed sharing families and their, their situations. And I think you'll want to hear the results. So stay tuned. Many of y'all know that I'm really passionate about non-toxic products and I'm super mindful of the products that we bring into our home. I actually am not a big makeup wearer and part of that is because I've had a really hard time finding non-toxic makeup products that actually work and that I actually like until I found Araza Beauty. Araza Beauty is an amazing organic natural paleo makeup makeup company. A lot of their um, products are made from real food ingredients and you can pronounce most of the ingredients. I love their all-in-one coconut cream foundation. It offers a lot of coverage, actually more coverage than I'm typically used to um, because I don't really like the way makeup feels on my face, but it's so comfortable. I don't feel it on my face and it looks amazing. I also love their mango cream color pot for just a little bit of color on my cheeks. Everything is so creamy and makes your skin look so dewy and healthy. You can save 15% off your first order when you use the code TAYLOR. So go to arazabeauty.com. That's A-R-A-Z-A beauty.com and use the code TAYLOR to save 15% on your first order. Welcome back. Let's continue this very important conversation about bed sharing. So I've had exchanges, I've had conversations in the past with care providers about this very topic. And maybe they stumble across one of my bed sharing posts on Instagram and they'll message me. And what they often say is, I just don't feel um, like with the information that I have, I don't feel like it's ethical for me or okay for me to recommend families that families bed share. And kind of the same thing. I get all the time, I get messages, comments, whatever, telling me that I'm irresponsible and dangerous for encouraging bed sharing and for recommending bed sharing. And so what I want to point out here and what I always point out to these care providers that I have conversations with is that providing the information is not the same as recommending or encouraging, right? It's not our place necessarily to recommend or to encourage. It's our place and it's the place of care providers to provide all of the information, provide the safe the safe crib sleeping guidelines, provide the safe bed sharing guidelines. If you really want to, you can even say that the recommended place to sleep is in the crib. That's where you should you should try to put your baby to sleep. 
because that is from the guidance of the American Academy of Pediatrics. You can say that if you want to as a care provider, if you feel like you need to. But providing, but also providing the bed sharing information is really important so that parents can then take that information and they can decide to make that they make the decision that is best for them. It's not you as the care provider or me that is saying you should bed share. That's not what that means. That's not what what me providing this information means. And so that's a really huge distinction too if you are a care provider. Um, I would just think about that a bit too. So many families are not bed sharing out of choice. And I actually took some polls on my Instagram stories the other day about bed sharing um, because I wanted to gather some of this information. So I'll share those um, statistics in a little bit. But I just want, I, I feel like people need to know this. Many families are not bed sharing out of choice, but it's also completely reasonable and valid to bed share out of choice. Some families are making the decision. They've, they've researched bed sharing. They understand the benefits of bed share, and it's just something that feels right to them. And so they decide to bed share out of choice. But many families fall into bed sharing out of pure necessity. Like I said, I did. And I have. I've bed shared with my babies because I had to. So it's really easy to say that no one should ever bed share and to share these fear-based and mostly inaccurate um, messages if you're either, one, not a parent, or two, if you've never had a baby who will just not sleep in their crib. It happens. It's normal for babies to not be able to sleep without a parent right next to them or snuggled up against a parent or sleeping right on top of a parent. Sometimes that happens too. Many babies have really intense needs for proximity. And many babies, especially as they go through milestones and growth spurts, they just won't sleep without being held or touched or being just being next to mom. So wanting to silence bed sharing information and accusing advocates for safe bed sharing information to be dangerous or, you know, I've been called a baby killer, that implies that the under the underlying assumption that is that all families have a choice to not bed share and have their baby sleep in a crib. And that as long as we tell families not to bed share, it just won't happen. And the other piece of this is that it's very, in many cultures and many other countries around the world, it's very normal to bed share. And so what this message that you should just never, ever, ever bed share, and we shouldn't talk about it at all, um, it doesn't capture a lot of people in the world and a lot of family situations in the world. In many cultures, they don't live in big enough houses where that they have separate rooms Um or even big enough rooms that they could have a crib. The norm is just for families to sleep together in the family bed. And so there's differences here, cultural differences. And so the idea of crib sleeping being the only way, the only right way is um, oh, is very Western-centric. So back to the logic that as long as we tell families to bed share, it just won't happen. What if we took that logic and applied it to other things in life? 
How about if we don't encourage seatbelt use or educate on car safety, car seat safety? It's better to just never ever get into a car accident or better yet, let's never drive a car. Because we know that driving a car increases our risk of injury and death, right? This logic is really ridiculous when you think about it this way, right? Every choice we make in life carries risk, including having a baby sleep in a crib away from a parent, but we're not talking about those risks. It's it's not fair to not talk about the risks of crib sleeping or solitary sleeping without talking about, while we're talking about the risks of bed sharing. It's not fair to put crib sleeping on this pedestal and act as if it's 100% safe and the perfect option while slamming bed sharing. Babies, unfortunately and tragically, also die in the crib. But cribs aren't vilified every time this happens. All things in life carry risk. It is impossible to live a life of complete safety. We would not tell somebody that they should never drive a car because it increases risk of accident and injury. We wouldn't tell a parent that they are irresponsible and putting their child's life at risk by driving in a car with them. Because we know that many people rely on cars to run errands, to go to work, to go to school, and otherwise live life. It's just something that is necessary for many families. It's unavoidable. And for many families, this is also true of bed sharing. So I think that if you are somebody that is a skeptic about bed sharing or just really believes that nobody should ever be bed sharing and that they shouldn't be giving getting the information um, to safely bed share, then I hope that maybe you can understand, even if you've never experienced this, that some babies will not sleep in the crib. And then what do you propose that a family should do? So I think that maybe having that perspective, even if it's different from your experience, can be really helpful. So why do I believe that withholding safe bed sharing information from parents increases risk and is actually the dangerous thing to do? Sharing safe bed sharing information reduces risk. When parents are told they can never bed share, they inevitably fall into unsafe sleep situations with their baby because they are fearful of bed sharing. So when I was when I had my my daughter, my first child, and I didn't bed share with her because I was terrified too, I fell asleep with her in the rocking chair. I fell asleep with her on the couch. I even fell asleep a couple of times with her while I was standing up and rocking her to sleep because I was so sleep deprived. And I've talked to so many parents that have done the same. It's inevitable that especially breastfeeding mothers will at some point fall asleep with their baby because breastfeeding, um, when you breastfeed, hormones, lots of hormones, cascades of hormones are released in both mom and baby. And these hormones result in both mom and baby getting sleepy and falling asleep. And this is just the physiological design. And so it's the perfect setup to fall asleep with your baby. And it's more difficult to avoid it 100% of the time than it is to, to give into it. Um, 
And so when parents are told they can never bed share, they're often doing even more unsafe things than bed sharing would be. And I think this is really interesting. So this is a great resource from um, the Lullaby Trust, which is a resource in the UK. And they found that this was in the UK, that um, around half of babies who die from SIDS while uh, around half of babies who died from SIDS died while co-sleeping, which means around half of babies that died from SIDS died while sleeping in a crib or a bassinet. But what they found also that is really interesting is that 90% of the babies who died while co-sleeping died in hazardous situations that are largely preventable with safe bed sharing information, education. So of the half of the babies that died while co-sleeping, and here they defined co-sleeping again as anything, um, anything that was not in a crib basically. So that included chair, falling asleep on the chair, falling asleep on the couch, falling asleep in hazardous situations on the bed. Of the half of the babies that died in in the co-sleeping situations, 90% of them were preventable. I'm not sure why anyone would not be on board with preventing deaths from bed sharing. And we prevent deaths from bed sharing not by telling families to never bed share because the majority of bed sharing of breast, sorry, breastfeeding parents, families will eventually bed share at some point, right? Even if they don't plan to, even if it's only for an hour or two in the, the really early morning hours where babies just often are very wakeful and nurse all the time, even if it's just for a little nap and, and mom just happens to fall asleep on accident while bed sharing, at some point, research shows that most breastfeeding dyads will bed share even if they don't plan to. So why would we want to keep the safety information from these families, from these parents? The issue really is, and what's not acceptable to me is, again, I already talked about this, but the refusal to share the bed sharing information and the blatant withholding of this crucial information from parents Parents deserve access to all of the information so that they can make an informed decision. And what happens when parents receive this fear-based messaging surrounding bed sharing and they're told to just never, ever do it? They feel shame. And what happens when parents feel shame around a decision that they've made or a situation that they're in? Silence and secrecy. They don't talk about it. If your care provider or your child's care provider tells you that you're dangerous and irresponsible or that you're going to kill your baby if you choose to bed share, what parent would feel comfortable talking to their care provider about bed sharing? What parent would feel comfortable let, disclosing, disclosing their sleep situation? And so I also believe that pediatricians most likely don't understand how many families do bed share because families that are bed sharing, the majority are not telling them. 
So pediatricians think, most likely, I'm just, I am just, um, I'm just guessing here. I imagine that pediatricians don't hear from many families that are bed sharing, especially I'm specifically talking about those pediatricians that do not make parents feel comfortable to come to them and open up to them about bed sharing. So these pediatricians are telling families to not bed share. They're warning against it. They're fear mongering. So most of these families are not disclosing to their pediatricians that they're bed sharing. So these pediatricians then just think that parents are not bed sharing and babies are sleeping in cribs and all is well. And they're not realizing that there's this huge need for bed sharing information and that so many of these families don't even know how to safely bed share. And they're bed sharing because they have to and they don't even know how to do it safely. So I want to end this by sharing with you the results of the casual, um, informal polls that I took on my Instagram stories. And I first just want to say, this is just a disclaimer, that these these are this is in no way scientific. Um, this was not a scientific research experiment. And I also just want to say that these polls are definitely um, biased because they are taken from people that are in my Instagram community that follow me. And I would say, I would guess, um, I'm pretty confident that the majority of the people that follow me, um, have bed shared at some point. And, um, it is probably not entirely representative of a normal parent population or a normal caregiver population, because these are families that are following me that have likely not all of them, but have very likely are are more likely to not have sleep trained or not want to sleep train or are more likely to have bed shared. So these are bias polls. But the point of this is not necessarily just to see how many people are bed sharing because we already know from from research um, that the majority of especially breastfeeding parents will bed share at some point. Again, even if that's only for a brief period of time. Um, but this is to capture the the families that are bed sharing. Because it's happening. It's happening. And their experience is valid and their experience is important. Um, So just to let you know, this sample size of these polls, which means this is how many about how many people answered, it varied a little bit for each question, but it ranged from about um, 9,000 to 11,000 people answering these polls. So the first question was, have you ever bed shared with your baby at any point for any length of time, whether intentional or not? And this includes falling asleep with your baby for a few minutes or a few hours. 96% answered yes. So again, this is not necessarily, this cannot be generalized to the, the, every parenting group, right? Because I have a very large proportion of bed sharing families that follow me. But that is still around 10,000 families just from my community that answer that they have bed shared at some point in, in their life, in their baby's life. So this matters. There are families out there bed sharing, so many families, and we need to be supporting them. The next question was, if you have bed shared, do you feel comfortable discussing your sleeping arrangements with your child's healthcare provider? 59% answered no. The majority of bed-sharing families do not feel comfortable talking with their child's care provider about bed-sharing. And 
My opinion is that sleep is not a medical issue, and I don't believe that sleep should be within the a pediatrician's um, scope of practice because they don't know much about sleep, to be honest. But they've put that in their scope of practice. That is a question that most pediatricians ask about at every appointment. They hand out sleep, some of them, not all of them, but a lot of pediatricians hand out and encourage sleep training at specific ages. Um, so I know that you know you don't need to talk about sleep with your with your pediatrician if you do not want to and you don't feel comfortable. But the fact of the matter is that most parents, vulnerable new parents, are trusting their pediatricians, and when their pediatricians are asking them a question about sleep, they feel compelled to answer, or maybe they feel compelled to lie if their pediatrician has already made it clear what their stance on bed sharing is. So again, this kind of shaming and fear mongering it breeds secrecy and silence and isolation. Um, so I asked another question. The question was, if you have bed shared, did you feel that it was a choice for your family? In other words, answer no if your baby would not sleep in the crib or if bed sharing felt like a necessity for whatever reason. So 60% said that their babies did not, um, it was not a choice for their babies to bed share. They bed shared, 60% bed shared out of necessity. Now, some people messaged me feeling like that question was a bit confusing and weren't sure how to answer. So I had decided to make another question and kind of re reword it and just ask the question in a different way. Um, so the question is, did the ABCs of sleep, which if you're not familiar with the ABCs of sleep, it is kind of the rule for the safe sleep um, guidelines, and it stands for baby should be alone, on their back, and in the crib. So I asked, did the ABCs work for your baby? Was it possible for your baby? 76% said no, that the ABCs were not possible for their baby. Again, remember that this is not um, a poll that could necessarily be generalized to the general public, general public of parents, because I have a significantly high um, percentage of families who have bed shared, who maybe have babies that don't sleep super easily or need more proximity. So this is not, you can't really generalize this. I'm not saying that 76% of babies don't follow the ABCs, but Again, these babies exist, and I don't think that they're even the minority. There's a lot of babies out there that do not follow the ABCs, no matter what the parents try. So do what you want with those polls, um, but I hope that this conversation today at least leaves you with a bit more of an understanding of why it's important to talk about bed sharing and share the safe bed sharing information with families. We really need to be supporting families who bed share and we do this by education, not by shaming, not by bullying, not by fear mongering. We do this through supporting them with good, solid information. And that is how we prevent injury and death. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe and leave a review if you feel called to. It really helps our message reach more parents. You can also follow me on Instagram at Taylor Kulik for similar content or visit my website at www.taylorkulik.com. 
I offer online courses where we really dive into infant and toddler sleep holistically. And we also offer one-to-one holistic sleep support services if you're looking to improve your child's sleep or shift patterns without sleep training. If you know a parent who would benefit from this podcast, please share. And if you'd like to financially support this podcast to allow me to create more episodes more often, you can visit anchor.fm slash Taylor I hope you'll join me next time.